You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So this morning's reading is from Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, and it's called Jesus Cleanses a Leper. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and thank you, Jane. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's great to be with you today. Uh, Whenever we encounter Jesus in the Gospels, two things really jump out to me, his compassion and his power. And I think one of the things I love about today's story is that we see both of those things in a glorious and beautiful way, a story actually that shows us the power of Christ's compassion. The first thing we're told about this man, this leper, is that he is full of leprosy. And with those three words, we are beckoned into a very hard and difficult world for this man. The word leprosy was used for a whole range of skin diseases in the ancient world, lupus, ringworm, psoriasis, but also what we now know as Hansen's disease. It's most likely that this is what the man was experiencing, and it's a truly horrific disease. Uh, Hansen's disease is very rare but incredibly destructive, a bacterial infection that can affect the nerves, the respiratory tract, uh, the eyes and the skin. And it can have this insidious effect, deadening the nerves to pain. In fact, some sufferers actually lose their limbs because they have undetected injuries and infections. William Barclay describes it as a disease that starting from a small spot ate away the flesh until the wretched sufferer was left with only the stump of a hand or a leg. It was literally a living death. The physical toll was immense, but this disease was more than skin deep. Uh, Advances in medicine mean that Hansen's disease can now be treated and even cured, but they had none of that in the ancient world. Leon Morris says that leprosy was both disfiguring and fatal, and the ancient world's only defence against it was quarantine. Sufferers were forbidden to approach other people, and to prevent accidental contact, contact, they were required to call out unclean. Uh, This was actually stipulated in the Jewish law. In Leviticus, there's actually two very long chapters devoted to leprosy and other skin diseases. And we read this in chapter 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, this was actually God's provision uh, without the medical care that we have today. A contagious disease like leprosy was a significant health risk for the community. And so these measures were designed to protect others. But it did mean that the leper 
was cut off from everyone else, cut off from worship, not able to come up to the temple to offer sacrifices or to to worship God with other people. They couldn't be with God's people. They had to dwell outside the camp, away from everyone else. And even if people were courageous enough to be close to them, they had to be so careful. You see, if a clean person touched an unclean person, then that clean person would be rendered spiritually unclean as well or ceremonially unclean. And so this man faces a lifetime of rejection, exclusion, and suffering. William Barclay puts it starkly, the leper was hated by others until he came to hate himself. And what's hardest about this is that it's likely that many people thought that this man deserved it, that this was all his fault. We know from reading the Gospels that the Jews of this time had a very mechanical, almost karmic view of sin. If you did something wrong, you would be punished for it in this life. And so if you were beset by a disease or some disaster, it was assumed that it was God's judgment on your sin. You were treated not just as sick, but as sinful. Uh, This seems particularly to have been the case with leprosy. Chuck Swindle writes, ancient people considered leprosy a symptom of uncleanness emanating from somewhere within. And so this man is seen as someone under judgment. He carries judgment in his body. Now, there was a way back for this. The law gave provisions for healing. If a skin disease cleared up, the unclean person could show themselves to the priest and who would inspect them, and if it was he was satisfied, he could pronounce them clean. But this is not an option for this guy. He is full of leprosy. He's not getting better. In fact, some Jewish writers said that healing leprosy like what this man has was as difficult as raising the dead. You know, it's interesting, uh, a couple of weeks ago on one of our church Facebook pages, not ours, another part of City on a Hill, uh, the, the topic series for this, the, the topics for each of the weeks of this series was posted uh, and there was a title given for each week and, and this week's title is The Forgotten Leper. And someone made a comment on it, would you mind editing how you describe people with leprosy? They said that the word leper is derogatory and that people who have leprosy prefer to be described as people who are affected by leprosy or people with Hansen's disease. Now, obviously, I understand the point that they're trying to make. But may I humbly suggest that they're actually missing the point. The whole point of this week is the story that this man is a leper. That's the medical term for it. But more importantly, that's how people saw him. That's the word they used to describe him. This, that's the word that defined him. That's the word people used to curse him. He is the leper. Rosaria Butterfield writes, When Jesus walked the earth, leprosy was the worst of all plagues. Not only was it a filthy, deadly disease from which no one recovered, but its contagion spread arbitrarily and wildly, rendering beloved family members outcasts and wanderers in the beat of a heart. With a pop of white pus, a beloved family member overnight became abhorrent. Lepers, moral and social outcasts, isolated, rejected, feared, despised, banded together in pain, waiting to die, bereft of hope. But this leper somehow has found hope stirring within him. One day he comes into the town and sees Jesus and approaches him 
and asked to be healed. Verse 12, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is, first of all, a sign of his desperation. As mentioned before, he's supposed to be in quarantine, separated from the rest of the people. To come into the city like this is to risk abuse and rejection, perhaps even arrest. But he comes anyway. And he comes because he senses that Jesus can help him. He must have heard about Jesus somewhere from somehow. Perhaps he's heard that Jesus has done some miracle, some healing. And so he comes believing that Jesus can do the same for him. You can make me clean. And yet there's something so tragic, so heartbreaking in the way he approaches Jesus. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He believes, he's sure that Jesus can do this, that he's able to do this. You can make me clean. But he has the fear, the suspicion that Jesus might not want to heal him. He says, if you will. He's desperate for this. He wants this more than anything else but he feels that Jesus might not want to give it. It seems that the years of rejection have left their mark. Years of being untouchable have made him feel unlovable. Mm. He's been shut off and cast out by everyone, and so he imagines that Jesus will do the same. It's telling, too, the words that he uses. If you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't just ask Jesus to heal him. He asked Jesus to cleanse him. Perhaps he's imbibed the theology of his time. Perhaps he believes this is God's judgment on him. Who knows? It may actually be specifically that. There are situations in the Bible where where God does do this. We're not told here. But it's also a sign that this man longs to be with God and with God's people. His uncleanness means he's been cut off, that he can't be at the temple, he can't be with his Jewish brothers and sisters. That's the greatest cost that he feels of all of his disease. And so he asks for cleansing, for healing and for forgiveness, for, for, for acceptance, for a welcome from God. And that's why Jesus' response is so beautiful. Verse 13, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This is, first of all, a compelling sign of Christ's power. He touches him and the leprosy just goes. This incurable disease is cured. Jesus has the power of healing. So this really tells us something about the power of Jesus, as we've heard today with the wonderful story of Neil and Shafali and Arya. But it tells us even more about the heart of Jesus and his compassion. Jesus can heal him, and he is willing, and he does it in a way that is absolutely perfect for this man and his situation, by touching him. Jesus didn't have to do this. We know that Jesus didn't have to touch people to heal them. There's one story, in fact, in John 4, where he heals someone from a distance of about 20 miles, so he can do it remote. He can do remote healings (laughs) over Zoom. And yet Jesus often touched people when he healed them, like the blind man whose eyes Jesus touched to give him sight. And here with this leper, and I think there's something so special about this moment. Remember, this man had not been touched probably for years. I mean, we've all found it difficult not being able to be around people during lockdown, being separated from loved ones. I've been in a tier one site. You know, the sense of being cut off from others, seen as a threat. But imagine that 
for years. Imagine people being terrified to see your shadow, frightened that just touching you will bring the curse of leprosy on them. I mean, this bloke probably hasn't been touched in years. He's been distant from everyone, hasn't been held, hasn't been close to people. But now Jesus reaches out and touches him. And remarkably, something happens. Jesus is taking this kind of spiritual risk. As I said before, if he touches him, he becomes unclean. And so the crowds watching on think, why is Jesus doing this? But as soon as he does, everything changes. Instead of Jesus being sullied, the man is cleansed. He changes everything. This series is about encountering Jesus And I think we can learn something here from Jesus and his compassion. Jesus offers us a model for our world, for our life. As one writer puts it, Jesus touched the untouchable. And it's of the very essence of Christianity to do this, to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. And yet so often we as the church, we as Christians can fail to do that. In the 1980s, HIV-AIDS patients were seen as the new lepers of our society. They had this horrible disease, this mysterious one. There was no precedent for it. It rampaged through a person, often very quickly. And there was this tremendous fear of it too, a a fear of the disease that came to be placed on the person. Now, it's actually very hard to contract the disease, but this was not understood at the time. And people were afraid even to touch someone with the disease. And and it's interesting hearing or reading some of the reports from people from that time, people who who, uh, saw this, who felt this, who experienced this, survivors, for instance, who talk about how they were treated like lepers. They use that language sometimes. They were seen as unclean, feared and rejected and cast out. And sadly, churches were often a big part of this. AIDS spread predominantly among the homosexual community, and so it was assumed by many that this was a mark of God's judgment, and this was seen as a reason to mistreat and exclude. And and even beyond that, there was this sense that Christians were glorying in God's judgment of someone else. And sadly, this is something that we have a habit of doing. Jesus went to the untouchable, but we often leave them well alone. Think of someone in jail. Would you be willing to visit them? Think of that guy, Richard Pusey, who had the car crash last year, then filmed the police officers that died. Would you ever consider treating him well? Think of the drug addict or the person on the fringes of society, the people that we walk past and disregard. They're kind of dramatic hypotheticals, but we can have others closer to home within the church body itself. Think about the leader who falls into sin and loses their ministry. So often they feel like they're being kicked to the curb by the people that they've served. Divorced people often speak about how they feel shunned in churches. What about the person caught in sexual sin? They might have repented and be sorry for it, but still their sin is held against them. Or perhaps someone's fallen short of some other moral standard. They've gotten drunk. They smoke. They said an inappropriate joke. It's often more subtle than that, of course. We often find a way to exalt ourselves over others and look down on them. 
That person's too sad, too needy, too emotional. They can't get their life together. They lack wisdom or they're not mature. Or in our time, they don't wear a mask properly. (laughs) We have these standards for people and we hold them to it, excluding anyone who doesn't reach them, almost treating them like lepers. Now, please don't mishear me on this. I'm not saying that anything goes. The Bible is clear that God's people should put off sin. That's because we're holy. We're set apart. Ephesians 5, Jesus gave himself up for us so that he might sanctify us so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. God wants us to be clean. And so we should pursue that, pursue holiness. But, and here's the thing, we're called to do this together, to help each other do this. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So why don't we? You see, when we see someone else sin, we're more likely to judge them than to help them. We're more likely to condemn them rather than care for them. Why? Part of it is a spiritual blindness. We're not aware of the problems that we have. But even more than that, I think it's because it actually makes us feel better to judge someone else. See, often I think we do feel our sin. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not actually as good as we say we are. We might deny this. We might ignore this. But it's true. And we feel it in the middle of the night or when our feelings rise up and surprise us, thoughts that feel like they're from hell itself. But judging other people makes us feel more secure, makes us feel better about ourselves. We can take the pressure off ourselves by putting it on someone else. But there's something profoundly wrong in this. You see, we only treat others badly if we believe that we are better if we feel they deserve it and we're in a position to dole it out. And Jesus has no time for this. That's what we see throughout Jesus' ministry. Whenever he encounters this kind of spiritual pride, he is disgusted. And so the compassionate Jesus that we see in this passage has little compassion for the self-righteous. And so he has this warning for us, Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The way we approach other people in their sin, Jesus warns, is the way God will approach us in our sin. And so as we study this passage, it would be easy for us to just say, okay, I need to learn from Jesus. But actually, there's something else. We need to learn from the leper as well. Because the leper has a deep humility, a sense of his own need. We are like him. We are lepers diseased by sin. We are sinful. We are full of leprosy, just uh, full of sin, just as this man was full of leprosy. And so Jesus says we are unclean, not because of some physical issue, not, not some skin disease, but because of what's in our hearts. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And so we need to have the same kind of attitude as the leper. Look again at what he says to Jesus. If you will, 
you can make me clean. He has a sense of his need, but he's not demanding about it. He wants to be cleansed, but he doesn't presume on it. There's no sense of entitlement. No sense that this is the only option that Jesus has. And God's people know that feeling. God's people know what it feels like to be really aware of their sin, to hunger for God's forgiveness, yet not presume upon it. I think you always know this feeling when the word sorry becomes too small. I say this with human relationships too. You know that you're truly sorry when that word sorry means too, it's, it's too small. You know, I, I use that word when I bump into someone accidentally. Oh, sorry, I did that. And then when you hurt someone that you love, you're using the same word. It doesn't feel right. And you know that the same with God as well. When you're so convicted of your sin, you're so aware of it that you wonder how God could forgive it. You know that he can, but you wonder why he would. You've done it again and again. Why should he forgive me? Well, this is actually the spirit of the penitent person, the repentant person. That's the spirit of the Beatitudes, to use the words of Jesus. This is the person who is poor in spirit, who mourns their sin, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. But the wonderful thing thing is that that person is the person who knows God's grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God is a compassionate God, as we see in this story. God's heart is with those who feel their uncleanness, just like the leper in this story. Jesus draws close to those who humble themselves. And so if you want to be forgiven, if you are truly sorry for your sin, then God will forgive you. If you come to Jesus, he will come to you. doesn't matter what you've done. It could be the worst of sins, and it could be that you've done it again and again, and you might wonder how you could ever be accepted again, how you could ever be clean. Well, if you come to Jesus, he will forgive it. Jesus came to be with the leper and he came to be with us, entering our sinful world to rescue it, to cleanse it and to make it whole. Jesus touched the leper. He touched the unclean and he touches us. Jesus took on the uncleanness of the leper, but instead of him becoming diseased, he brought healing. And so it is with us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus touches us in our sin, taking it on and dealing with it so we can be cleansed. Our sin is bad. It does deserve judgment, but Jesus took that judgment for us. And now he invites us to come to him always. Every time we encounter our sin, I talked about this last week, but every time we encounter our sin, Jesus is also inviting us to encounter his grace. And each time we encounter that grace, we understand more how big it is. 
Ephesians 3 talks about how uh, Paul prays that the people of Ephesus will know the love of God, a love that surpasses all knowledge. Uh, pray that He prays that they'll know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love. And this is the experience of God's people too. I have a friend who is a mentor of mine, and he I've said this story before, but I love it. He talks about how when he came to faith, he came to understand that God's grace was surrounding him. But then in life, he, he sinned, and, and then he felt like he'd walked outside of God's grace. He came back to God, and then he discovered that actually God's grace was bigger. It encompassed even that sin. And each time he would go outside of God's grace or thought that he'd done that, he realized just how big God's grace is, that it's infinite, that it's bigger, further, deeper, wider than anything we can imagine. And when we encounter that grace, that changes us. That changes us. It motivates us to be holy because the Holy One loves us. And it motivates us to help those around us. It humbles us so that we don't exalt ourselves over others. We come alongside them. We touch the untouchable. We forgive the unforgivable, just like Jesus did. How about we pray? Mm -hmm. Father God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you are the God of power and compassion, the God who is able to heal uh, our physical and spiritual diseases. You're both able to do this and you are willing to do that. Lord, we uh, ask that we might come to you in our spiritual diseases, come to you with humility, not presuming on your grace, but recognising that it is grace, that we don't deserve this. But thank you, Jesus, that you have made it possible. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us life, that you came to the untouchable, you touched the untouchable, you've forgiven the unforgivable in us. Lord, may we encounter your grace today. May we encounter it the next time we feel unworthy. And then may we pass that on to others. May we walk alongside each other in openness and honesty recognising our need of grace and wanting to share it with those around us. We pray this for your glory. We pray that we might encounter you and then that we, others might encounter you through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.